Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters, diversifying your mind, not just your portfolio. My name is Thomas, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking this fine Friday morning? It's not morning for you, actually. Uh, it's like it's like afternoon. So yeah. uh, I, when I say that I'm drinking a hot toddy, I can feel mm. like slightly normal because everyone drinks whiskey at like 1 p.m. Even your hot drinks, you have to put whiskey in them, don't you? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Anna, Anna and her family swears by a hot toddy when you're sick. Because mm. it yep. puts you to sleep. Like not right? always. Uh, I maybe maybe that's the reason. It's just so cold here in Hoboken. It was like, I don't know, 60s a few days ago, and now I don't know, it's like 40 something. Yeah, it was like 32 last night. I think last night was the the night where I truly felt cold. And I was like, okay, I can no longer just haphazardly throw on the really light jacket. Like, I need to actually take this seriously now. Oh my God. Which is good because that means snow is coming to the mountains soon. Dude. Speaking of snow, so it, it's been getting brutal in New York, and I, I've had snow boots that I bought when I was like, I don't know, 14, and because I've not grown since then, if they still fit. <laughs> and So I'm trying to buy new snow boots or something, and I could buy Tim Timberlands, or I could buy mm-hmm. Uggs for men. That's like the only options I have. So You could buy Sorrels. I, I didn't see those. Or I, you could buy any pair of boots and then treat them with uh, tech spray. Do you, maybe you need to come here and go boot shopping with me. Yeah, I think I need to go educate you a little bit. Because uh, I was, I was going to admit that I bought Uggs. Did you buy? You know what? I can't remember which company. Oh, uh, my hosting company sent me Uggs for men one year for Christmas. They're like slippers. They're not shoes to walk outside in. But I do own Uggs for men because of that. God, no one sends uh, But me I actually anything. just went out and I bought a pair of Red Wing boots, mm. which look sick they look really nice they're not as like stylish as my wingtips and i'm just going to treat them with like a gore-tex spray basically and then when you wear some nice thick socks with that there's the spray makes them basically waterproof you can turn that into a pretty decent winter boot i wouldn't go like trudging through the woods with them right. but just for walking through the city even if it's a little wet or slushy you know you treat the boots and they're going to be pretty good so yeah i can maybe already I hear the girls cat calling you down the street <laughs> <laughs> Just because those boots are damn sexy. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I'm drinking not a hot toddy. Um, I want to say rooibos tea, but I've learned that rooibos is not actually a tea. Mm. It's a different plant. And it seems unfair to me that all other weird hot drink plants get lumped into the herbal infusion category where tea gets its own name. So I'm just going to say rooibos. I'm going to give it the credit that it is due. Uh, It's actually a chocolate one, so it's pretty good. It's got like a hint of chocolate in it. Uh, and that's all I have to say about my drink. Anyway, so we all know the common advice that is all around retirement, right? You work until you're 65, and then you cash out your 401k in full and you buy a yacht. Clearly, <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do. I don't know why but you like surprised out, me with that. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that things are a little bit more complicated these days so we've got a guest who has been on the show at least once before probably more than that but david stein is with us again uh how's it going david great thanks for having me having me back yeah and you've gained a lot of podcasting experience since the last time you've been on the show um in fact how many times have you been on the show i know it's been this is my third third time third time time. okay yeah first time i wasn't podcasting and andrew talked me into being a podcaster 
And then and you went out and built a show that's even bigger than ours now. Faster. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. I think we're probably pretty close, running neck and neck. Somewhere so. around that, yeah. But for anybody who doesn't listen to uh, David's show, it's called Money for the Rest of Us, and it is a very good show. Definitely something you want to add to your personal finance library of podcasts. Uh, but David knows more than us, at least, about how to properly spend money in your retirement so you don't run out of money. And I'm guessing the whole buy a yacht option is not what you'd recommend. I don't know. We're just going to have to take different stances on that one, I guess. <laughs> rent, rent a yacht for a day. You know? Yeah, there we go. Just the rent a yacht, try it out, take your Instagram pictures, and then keep the rest of your money. Exactly. <laughs> Return the yacht. Uh, and Andrew, so you, you called this process decumulation, which makes sense, but I have to admit I had never heard of the term before. So is this like the financial industry's main term for just spending money in retirement? Because I always just figured it was spend money in retirement. <laughs> you mean no one else calls it decumulation? <laughs> I mean, we are retire gracefully. <laughs> We're trying to be trailblazers. Your funds. There you go. Yeah. I, I think yeah, so the be- thing is... Um, I saw someone or heard someone like really famous and smart add D to the front of some other word. And so I figured like <laughs> if we did that, maybe it would work. Um, like but trying to be, to be serious, like I feel like everyone talks about like the 4% rule and all of these things to retire and retire early, um, you know, and then you get there and there's actually a lot of very specific strategies and the ways that you can execute things so you don't screw yourself. Um, I have not been there and I've only like read and heard about it. David is there and he also is doing something else that I want to talk about, but I'm not going to tell you. Um, and so I guess I wanted David to maybe tell us uh, from the other side of the line, the retirement line, like how it works. I imagine it's scary. Well, the the thing that's that's scary about it is not collecting a paycheck. And I didn't realize that. So I, I quit my job at 46 and, you know, called myself retired and, and didn't work and didn't make any money. I mean, I sold some stuff on eBay, mm. but just the psychological hurdle of not receiving any income at all was was tough just because you're just so used to getting income into your, your bank account. And so it, it puts a lot of people under pressure. But the, the whole idea is of de-accumulation is, I mean, it, it's a simple problem if you know how long you're going to live and what you can earn investing. So I'm going to live fact forever. That, then you should invest like an endowment, right? Because mm-hmm. think about a college endowment. That is forever. So how do they keep their money through perpetuity? They have their rate of return. Let's say it's 7%. If inflation is 3%, so you got the seven, back out inflation of three, that's 4%. If they can spend 4% a year, the money lasts forever. Mm. Unfortunately, most of us aren't in the position where we can, let's say the 4% rule. The way the 4% rule is, you, you actually spend 4% in your first year of retirement and then increase it by the rate of inflation as you go through retirement. So 25 years in, you're potentially spending 10 12% of your portfolio, and that's why money potentially could run out. Mm. Oh, so, but we can okay. talk in a little bit more about the, this 4% rule and how that came about and, and some of the challenges with that because well, it's not do you believe a set in, in stone. Do you believe in it? And like, do you use that as your, and let's take your eBay business and whatever 
other weird things you're doing out <laughs> from the equation for a second and just talk about like the the approach of spending what you saved. Uh, do, do you did you follow the four percent rule? I didn't because I the four percent rule assumes you're 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 essentially going to have a traditional retirement of maybe thirty years, right? In my case, I'm forty six. I I was planning on living you know, to at least ninety. Mm. So that's a 40, 45 year retirement. So I kind of went in thinking, well, if I could spend two to 3%, mm-hmm. then I'm okay. Because what, what you're trying to do, it, it's called, it goes back, I call it mind the gap, right? You want to look at your return that you're earning, less inflation, and compare that to your spending rate. And most people get a negative gap because they end up spending more. Let's say they spend 5% and they only earn whatever, 6%, once you back out inflation, they got this negative return stream. And that's why people ultimately run out of money in retirement because, I mean, ideally, I did an episode once on die broke. You know, how do you like time it perfectly? Right. And it's very difficult to do unless you use uh, some type of annuity product, which we, we can talk about later. But, you know, the thing about this, the spending rate, that, that doesn't, you know, that was, you know, Bill Bengen came up with that in 1994. He did this article in the journal Financial Planning, and it was based on this concept, what he called safe max, which was, you know, what's the most, he looked back historically, what's the most you could spend, you know, what spending rate would allow that you would never run out of money? Mm-hmm. And he came up with 4.15%. But that was just the U.S. If you actually do the analysis in Japan, you're a Japanese retiree and you did that same analysis, your spending rate should be 0.27% because the returns were so much lower. Wow. Yeah. And if you, you were invested globally, you know, it's closer to about a 3% spend rate. So that, that 4% was sort of benefited from a period you know, of decades where the stock market kept getting pricier and pricier. So a retiree today needs to look at what are, what are today's conditions? Mm. You're looking at bonds at two and a half percent. I mean, that's what they're going to return over the next decade. Stocks, maybe six percent. So your portfolio return potentially is only five percent. Well, if it's five percent, you can't spend four percent in retirement because you'll you'll run out of money in 20 years. Right. Three percent ish. Potentially. I mean, I the way that I do it is I look at it every year. Mm -hmm. Like what 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 was my return this year? How much you know? How much did my net worth change? What and and just I, I like a more flexible approach instead of saying this is it. Mm-hmm. And I think most retirees, at least till you get into your seventies, probably ought to generate some income, work somewhere part time. Yeah, because most I was looking at some data from Transamerica does a study every year to Center for Retirement Studies. They found your average person that retires has one hundred thirty-one thousand dollars in savings. And your That's average couple, not that much. No, and your average couple about two hundred and fifty thousand. Wow. So if you do, you know, the four percent rule uh, on two hundred fifty thousand dollars, Andrew, you got the math on that? Because then I'd have to do it in my head. But <laughs> no, but whatever. Uh, I mean, that that's roughly that's like ten. Let's see. Well, twenty five thousand would be, be like temper- around. 12, You're like twelve thousand dollars or so. Putting Mr. Money Mustache to shame right there. All right. <laughs> He's so, gonna double that. $12,000 is what your average retired couple could spend in retirement. You have and, to get roommates. They, before Social Security, 
And then, but what they were actually spending is $42,000 per year. Mm. So there's a gap. Once you factor in social security and what they can spend, there's still about an $8,000 shortfall that they're going to have to work at Walmart or something, sell on eBay to generate some income. And And I think most retirees should go in thinking, how can I generate some income so I'm not completely dependent on my investment portfolio? And it makes that transition so much easier because you're not having to, you just, you got some income coming in. So you don't feel so panicked figuring out, what do I do? What do I do? Because I, like this money has got to last. So that's like the equivalent of like running down a hill instead of jumping off a cliff. Right, right. So it's gradual, gradual. Yeah. So I fact, really, really want to talk about that. But but before that, I want to talk more about like um, the less sexy things. Like, for example, Social Security. Is that something that is meaningful? Like these people who can spend 12000 a year, is Social Security shoring up that gap? So it's kind of like a non... Yes. Yes. And I, and I firmly believe Social Security will be there for, for retirees. And so you and do don't believe it even for me? Oh yeah. Oh yes. Absolutely. I mean a it, lot of people in my generation think social security is just not like we're dumping money into it and we're not going to get anything when we're old enough. No, it it it's an issue and we, we can get into the mechanics of it uh, of how money works, right? But the government has a magic money tree basically. They can spend as much as they want because money is digits. So they will be there to, to basically make social security payments. The, the issue is, will the private sector be able to produce enough goods and services for retirees to consume? I mean, that's the constraint. If that gets constrained, I mean, the, like, let's say Venezuela. Venezuela is in a, in a heap of trouble because they're spending like crazy and yet they killed their economy so the private sector can't produce enough and so they have super high inflation. Mm-hmm. Where the US, if we're productive enough, we continue to invest, then we're going to be able to produce, particularly with robotics, enough goods and services. And so the, the government will be able to make social security payments and there will be enough for people to spend. So that, that doesn't worry me at all. I mean, you have to make some adjustments over time. But I, yeah, I, people are going to, re, first off, they're never even going to be able to cut it because people would starve because mm. they haven't saved enough for retirement. Yeah. So whatever social security provides for people and obviously it is not as much as they would make when they're earning you know in their job you you do think that if you are completely irresponsible and said screw saving whatever you could rely on social security as uh your income yeah if you want to live on twenty thousand dollars a year right i mean presumably you've had enough credits of working because i mean it does require having put money into the system but yeah, I think it it will be there, but I think that's a pretty lean retirement. And I think, I mean, I think it'll be there, but you never know. Mm. <laughs> so you might as well yeah. also save, but I, I wouldn't go in thinking it's not going to be there. My default scenario is, yes, Social Security will be there to help complement your other sources of income. So I guess from my perspective, and I'm not sure if you feel the same, Andrew, but from my perspective... Maybe you're right. Maybe Social Security will be there, but I'm not I'm not building my career and my retirement savings with that even in mind. Like the way I think of it is if it's there, it's a nice bonus, but I feel like I have to to retire without it. 
And, and I think that's a great approach because, because, well, and if you want to retire early, you're not going to be relying on it anyway. So it's better yeah. to just assume it won't be there. But I also, if somebody's in their you know, 50 and concerned, it's not going to be there. They should stop worrying about it and keep saving a bunch, but they'll, they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Speaking of retiring early, what was, what was it like when you first retired? I mean, were you still working at all or did you actually like stop working and just pursue other things? For no, a while? well, I, I, you know, I stopped working and cause I was in the investment business and my partners bought me out, but I started launching projects right after that. So, I mean, I, I didn't make any money. I was just, you know, I was doing stuff on the web and just, just trying to figure it out. Cause I knew I wanted to do something. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't golf and, and, and so the lifestyle that I've wanted to create is where I could work part time doing something interesting, but still travel and, and do stuff. And that's kind of what I've done. And, and I didn't, I mean, for a while I told people I was retired, but then they always assumed you didn't have anything to do. So they thought of projects that I could do. And I, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's better <laughs> to say, I just don't, I don't say kitchen? people I'm retired anymore. I just like, <laughs> you know, I, I podcast and do, and do my stuff. I feel like you come Did across as like, <laughs> I feel like you come across <laughs> as like a dick when you say you're retired. Like I'm retired. I'm like, God damn this guy. I'm so, oh, I know exactly. I don't like that. I don't like the term, so I don't use it anymore. So, <laughs> how, okay. So you, you quote unquote retired and, and we're going to talk about your whole thing in a second, but like how long from when you retired, uh, until you actually started a project and you were just like, I don't know, laying around in your underwear, unshowered, like just playing video games or something. I, I I launched my first website that I thought could make money on the plane flying home from quitting on my last day, <laughs> my last day on the job. Right. I, I flew like back it. to Ohio. No they doubt. had a reception. And then on the plane, I, I hit launch for my website. That's awesome. And then I shut it down a month later. It's like, I don't, <laughs> like what I found was, all right, because I was in the investment business, right? So I launched an investment website newsletter thing, and I was absolutely terrified somebody would hire me because mm. I found I, it takes time. When you retire, it takes time. Mm. Somebody, one of my friends told me that it's like getting a divorce when you leave a job because you have so much emotion tied up into this. And I found myself with a month miserable because here I was basically doing the same thing I did before, only now I wasn't getting paid. Mm. And, and I just didn't want that. So it took me probably two or three years. So I left in 2012. I launched the podcast in 2014. But that two-year period took me a long time trying stuff, shutting it down, trying it again. And it just took me a while to get comfortable. Like, you know, what do I like about investing? What do I, what do I don't like? And how, how do I want to live as a retiree? And I think it takes people time to do that. You just assume, you know, if you quit and you think you want to generate income, figure it'll take three to four years to figure out not only a way to do it, but a way you're happy doing it. So before we jumped on the show, I was like talking with Thomas for like fixing Skype things. And um, I was basically like, personal finance is a crock of shit. You know, uh, listen, money matters. Personal finance is a crock of shit. And because I, I think everyone's talking about this early retirement thing. And here you are. Uh, you you did enormously well and retired at 47. And, uh, you know, you started to work on your next thing like on the plane. But you were perhaps lost at sea for maybe like two years or so. And like you said, like a lot of your um, who you who you define yourself as is like defined by your job and blah, blah, blah. 
I quit my job, you know, and I, I was like single-mindedly focused on early retirement because I think that's what the personal finance space is. Like fire, retire early. Like that's the solution. And I did. And for five years, that was my goal and I did it. And then I basically like didn't know what to do with my life. I like I had to listen to my matters. I had all this stuff to do, um, but I didn't want to do anything. I didn't know like what to do. I, I was like my purpose was lost. And so um, I, I want to talk about like decumulation and how you spend your money, but like how important building this business has been for you being that you calculated out based on a conservative version of the 4% rule that you could retire, yet you found it enormously important to still work. Oh, I did because you, you do need a sense of purpose. And, and I thought about it because I did sit around just like, you know, what, what do I like to do? Mm. And, you know, I like to travel. I like to, you know, bike some. But I spent my career thinking and figuring things out and explaining things to people. And you need something. And I, and I you know, as a retiree, you know, I'm hanging out with seven-year-olds you know, fishing <laughs> and, and observing, it's like, they're bored. Mm. And, and I, my neighbor's 92. I was talking to him the other day and he, he says, you have to have, well, he was, we were talking about what I was doing. I said, yeah, I admire you for having something to do every day because I, you know, I've always tried to, to have something to do every day, but to some extent, you know, even in his case, and people feel lost when they're retired. Now, I mean, maybe there's a few out there that just, or that passionate about golf or something, but having a regular, like knowing I got to get up on a Monday and figure out on the next day, I got a podcast about something, right? There's, there's something to that. Now it's not like I work 50 hours a week. I actually started timing myself to see how my, what, how I'm spending my time. And typically, you know, I spent 25 to 30 hours a week working. I was afraid I, I quote unquote retired and, and my wife was adamant to say that I was not retired, that I saw the work. <laughs> but I, I felt that I was retired, and then I, I felt like I couldn't talk about this because then everyone would be like, look at this asshole. He just retired. He makes blah, blah, blah money or has all this stuff, and he's lost. He doesn't know what to do. But I think uh, that we have to work, right? Like There's like studies that people die earlier if they're not working. And so... Uh, if you like had known, I guess what retirement would have been like. Would you have started money for the rest of us sooner? Well, I couldn't contractually because of my partners. I I would have started it soon. I mean, I was blogging and stuff like that earlier, but I did. Yeah, I did. But I, you know, I guess stepping back in your case, so you quit, but you were working a corporate job, mm-hmm. and and I don't think I think you went into the office. Sometimes it depends on what people their work styles. So some people really miss being in an office and the interaction and that aspect of work. But I, I had telecommuted for, for 10 years. So, I mean, I've been in Idaho working, you know, in my pajamas since 01. So I, I knew I, and I often would ask myself, you know, why do I even want to retire? I don't have a boss. I'm making a ton of money doing, you know, what I'm doing. I mean, not a ton, but I was doing well. And, I could do what I want, so why quit? And and it came down to you always want more freedom, right? Yeah, I had all this stuff, but I still had clients that would call me up and I'd have to go, you know, to meetings occasionally. 
And I decided and we wanted to go travel in Europe and Asia for a few months. So, you know, ultimately, you always want more freedom, but you also want you have to have something you're committed to, a project on yeah. a regular basis, the routine. Mm. I mean, you guys talk about routines all the time on your show. I mean, you need a routine even as a retiree, and it has to have a sense of purpose. It's like that Pavlov's hierarchy of needs. The top of the pyramid yeah. is self-actualization. I think right. people and like and most organisms in general want to feel like they need to put in some effort or have a purpose or something. There's actually a term called contra freeloading. I had to look it up because I forgot what it was. But they did a study where they had all these animals basically given a choice between like free food, totally free, no effort, and then having to do some sort of thing to get the food. And all the animals they studied, except cats, preferred <laughs> the one where they had to put some effort in. And cats are just like, nah, I want to just be served. Just give me food. So maybe there's some people out there who are like cats who just like, yeah, I, I don't care. But I think most of us really do want to feel like we have to put in effort to something. And we feel lost when it's just all set up for us. And you know you can wake up and you know, you're provided for with really no effort put in. Well, and there's, there's, there's a measurement aspect of money. And I was talking to some other podcasters the other day, and we're, and we're talking about growing our business. And, and you know, in some, like, well, listen, money matters. I mean, you don't necessarily have to grow it, but we're sort of programmed to grow because that's how you stretch yourself, and it's sort of a measure of progress. Mm -hmm. But it, and I still struggle with that, right? My, my show's done fine. I have a membership site. Like, why do I need? What's next, right? You're right. always looking for something next. And, and sometimes with retirees, that next thing doesn't have to be money-oriented. Perhaps it's some other project, and it's writing a book or creating something. At the end of the day, that's what we're doing. We're creating. People mm. need to have some way that they're creating. And yeah. it doesn't necessarily always have to be monetarily, but they have to have a project that they're committed to on a regular basis where they're creating and being creative. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I've just never been a huge fan of the whole concept of retirement. I guess retiring from the job that you made your career makes sense to me, but I've never understood the whole idea of just making your life nothing but leisure. No, no. And, and, and what I, one of the things I teach is the phrase, live like you're already retired. In other words, figure out a way to live now that you're happy and you can sustain yourself. Usually, you know, Involve, but it does involve some type of work, but you can do it for decades. So yeah. what I do now, I mean, I, I don't think about when I'm going to stop because I'm happy doing it. And in, in some ways, I, I would be afraid to stop because I have seen people in their 70s and 80s bored and, and, and just not have anything to do. Mm -hmm. So do you think that like contributes to dying faster? Oh, I do. Yeah. Because I think so. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. I remember reading a study once where they did autopsies in the brains of these nuns that had worked at this Catholic school up until they were 90 years old. And in one of them, they found the brain was just riddled with Alzheimer's and all this decay. But because she'd worked all throughout her life, her brain had basically like rewired itself around all these decayed areas. And she showed really no sign of mental deterioration before she died. Wow. Yeah, I think I knew some of those nuns when I went to Catholic school. <laughs> <laughs> Sister, Sister Almerita, I think she was at least in her 90s. Yeah. She, she had no time to be slowed down. She <laughs> keeping you in line. Well, there was that. My, my aunt, my aunt, well, here's the part of the, here's the thing about nuns, right? They, 
my aunts are nuns, so I have several aunts that were nuns. Right? There, were, there was no retirement, right? They didn't. Yeah. I mean, they the way you know, as the cat the convents evolved, they had to keep working. Now, sometimes they had retirement homes, but no, generally speaking, as a nun, you didn't retire unless you got sick. And that was normal, and that's why you saw them in, in parochial Catholic schools teaching. Yep. <laughs> so, David, let's say that uh, when you were retiring, you just wanted to do um, charity work, like helping nuns manage their finances, right? And, and they was going to pay no money. And so you had your egg, um, you know, with without security, uh, social security, and you had to draw it down. Um, would you just leave it all in Vanguard's total stock market fund and kind of me personally? Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I guess what changes where like a lot of people listening, they're like thirty or twenty five, and they're probably like eighty, ninety percent into stock, you know. When you get to the other side of retirement, it's not about like growing; it's almost about preserving. So how oh, do it you? Is. Well, and there's a there's a concept called sequence of return risk, right? So if you retire and and are eighty percent stock, and we go through an 08 situation where you suddenly lose thirty percent, forty percent, you're no longer spending four percent. Now you're spending eight percent, and yeah. so a lot of the literature that Wade Fa who's a big financial guru, financial plan. I mean, he studies this a lot. The guy's very, very smart. He, he says it's almost better to start off your retirement with less in stocks and then increase the allocation over time. And one way you do that is you set aside a bucket of, let's say, four years of living expenses in, in cash or, or shorter-term bonds, and then you use that. And then as you go through retirement, then you essentially are increasing your allocation and your chance of having retirement success is better because it's in those first in that first decade if you lose significantly. Hmm. Now, that's for somebody retiring at 65, right? So where you're looking at 30 years. For somebody that's 45 and retire, I you know, my approach is to have as many different return streams as possible. So I okay. I have as many different asset classes. I have, you know, I own gold, I own Bitcoin, I own stocks, I own you know, different types of bonds. I'm in private capital because I don't know what's going to happen. And all I'm, I'm just trying to earn five to 6%. And so yeah. I've set up my retirement. If I could spend 3% and earn 6%, then, then my money should last till I die. And I Whenever. can just, I can just pay you money and just see what your allocation is and just follow you. Right. You, you actually, can. <laughs> yeah, you can join there my you Money for the rest of us plus, and I share, you know, I have about 850 members. Yeah, I share my portfolio within my allocation as an example. I mean, it's not like this is how you should do it. And I, you know, I have some models out there also for that people can follow. But what I find in interacting with a lot of retirees and near retirees, people got to find their own way, right? So it's nice to have references, but ultimately, you know, most people sort of make their own decision in terms of, you know, which Vanguard funds or whatever. But, I, you know, at the core, you're trying to just, have different return streams so you don't get whacked if the market falls 50%. And you said yeah, exactly. you had 850 members and then when you stop doing retirement things, you occasionally open it to new members? Yeah. Every I, time I go there, it looks like it's closed. Like you're just like, I don't, you can't pay me. Well, don't, I, I, <laughs> I reopened it in October and I thought, you know, this time I'm just going to leave it open. But I find that people need 
a reason to to act, mm. even when it comes to retirement help. And so, yeah, I close it just because it just it, to fuck with us. One, I want to. I want to. I mean, I provide <laughs> mentorship, so I want to manage the yeah. number of members. But I, you know, I thought, well, I'll just kind of see how it goes. But as soon as you leave it open, then pe- people need they need a pain point. I mean, I, and I so I do it more to help. Well, and that and I just like if nobody joins my site for seven days, mm. then I start to think it's broken. Like what's wrong with Stripe or something yeah. like that. So Wait. for me, just emotionally, because this gets back to how you manage emotional retirement. I hated the fact that every morning I'd wake up and wonder if somebody joined my membership site, which is a very dumb way to live. But that's how I was programmed at, you know, mm-hmm. in running a business. Like, do we get any clients? And so for me, it's easier to shut it down for new members until, you know, for six months at a time. Because then I, then I don't mm-hmm. wake up wondering if anybody joined because I know nobody joined. So you're I doing like about how many people quit. <laughs> you're doing like a launch window model, basically. Yeah. But yeah. more for like mental health reasons. That kind of makes sense. Like it, I was just talking to Andrew the other day. I was doing some uh, like a few individual stock trades, and what it did to my brain was really interesting, and I didn't like it because I just found myself like staring at the number and like, checking it all being the time. emotionally <laughs> affected by a ten, you know, a ten cent change in a stock price, and I'm like, this isn't how I should be living. I should be working on something that's important, not trying to make money off of a dumb company or something like that. So I can totally understand that the whole, like the mental aspect of it. Hmm. That makes me think because we want to do courses at some point or membership stuff. And you know, part of me wants to just have it open all the time, but that's a good point. If nobody ever signs up, then I had it it open all the time up until last year. So last fall and I, my membership in that last month when I closed it, 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 it pretty much doubled. Wow. So I'd never closed it before and it doubled in terms of, and people admit it. It's like, yeah, you know, I thought, you know, I'd have time to, to join at some time, but it wasn't until you closed that it got me to act. Hmm. And, hmm. and so, I mean, there's multiple, I mean, and you don't want to just close something cause it, you know, get people to act. I mean, there needs to be other reasons in my case. <laughs> well, it works for that, but it, you got mental hmm. health reasons. And ultimately my time you know, my bottleneck is how many emails I get. Mm. And, you know, I do a Q&A episode. So I want to make sure I'm giving people attention that they need. So, you know, I monitor how many people join so that I don't I don't get overwhelmed in terms of you know, how, you know, having to provide help. Yeah. That or makes educa- sense. education. I don't, I don't give investment advice. Because you're working one-on-one with people. No, I'm extent. not. Oh, you're not? No, no, no. This is all. I'm not a registered investment advisor anymore. So this is all general education. So it's like a, well, on, basically a newsletter. So I don't No, I don't, you know, so people, you don't, you're not answering questions at all. I'll answer a question, but I don't, the way that the model works is you can't, if somebody emails me, I can't reply to his, to his or her email and say, this is what you should do. Yeah. I can do, I can, I do a Q and a mm. podcast episode for members where I'll answer right. a question. And so as long as it's me out to many, it's fine. Mm. Okay. But once you go one-to-one, then that's considered investment advice. And you can't do that unless you register it as, as an investment advisor. So if, if, some, like if somebody walks up to me on the street and says, what stock should I buy? It's like actually illegal for me to say that? Or is there like, like, like no random person in the entire world is allowed to give investment advice unless they're registered? No, there... it's not quite that. Because you know, one of the criteria, there's like 
a bunch of criteria, but one is you're putting yourself out there as an investment advisor. Mm -hmm. So somebody say, okay, if you start doing it all the time and you launch a website and you know, write me and I'll tell you which stocks, you know, and you start interacting individually, then yeah, yeah then you need to be registered. But if it's just like okay. a one-off thing, no, you're fine. So if you're like setting up and trying to build a perception of yourself as an investment advisor, at that point you need to be registered mm -hmm. as one. Right. Okay, gotcha. Cool. So David, when you <clears throat> retired, how much of your money was like just taxable dollars you invested, whatever, and how much of it was in like 401ks, IRAs, things like that? So it was probably when I retired half and half. But, you know, I left the investment firm, so they still owed me money. Mm. So mm -hmm. they they're making they were making an annual payment for 7 years. So I have a couple years left. And so my taxable portion has gotten bigger because I stopped putting money in my 401k. Mm. Yeah. But that's an important point. When you, a lot of these early retirees, you, you want to make sure you have both taxable and, and tax deferred. And, and, and people, you know, sometimes say, like, they're just putting it all in their 401k. Well, first off, if it's all just going in your 401k, you're not going to save enough to retire early. Right. Right? It's, you're going to have to be saving on an after-tax basis. So it should naturally take care of itself. But generally speaking, yeah, you're going to want most of it after tax as an early retire if you retire in your 40s, because mm. that's what you're going to live on for the next 20 to 30 years. And I, I mean, there's yeah. formulas that you can pull money out of an IRA, mm. but it, it it's based on life expectancy of living to 85. And so the amount you can pull out tax free out of that is, is very, very small. So we need to get new formulas for living to 100, or in Andrew's case, forever. That's right. <laughs> well, we do, so, when that's the point, right? Yeah, because that was the whole idea of retirement is like when they instituted it in Germany, the average lifespan was 72 or something. So the whole idea was you retire at 65, you're going to be alive for seven years, not 25 or 35 more. Mm. Well, and that's what Social Security was based on. When, it, when they came up with that in the 30s, they had people – you assume you're going to live for three or three or four more years. Mm -hmm. And so even, you know, in, in our case, yeah, well, probably most people lived to 90 or more. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of crazy that we're using a concept that was built with the intention to support people for a few years. But the intention now is that we're going to have almost like an, a second life after the working life. Well, right. Or people are just going to stop working. I was in Japan last month. And the thing that, that absolutely, you know, they have a very aging society. They have about a two and a half percent unemployment rate. Mm -hmm. And you see, I saw garbage men that were in their seventies. Yeah. Might've been in their eighties. So people just, I mean, they just kept working mm -hmm. either because they had to, or they wanted to, but your average security guard was clearly in their seventies. And, um, and that's just, and you were seeing that more and more. Yeah. I was at a McDonald's. You know, earlier this year, and most of the people working at McDonald's were were elderly or seniors, I guess, not elderly, well, seniors. Yeah. And that's going to be normal. And I think we should just assume. And most retirees believe that they're they're planning on retiring or planning on working in retirement. This yeah. is what the surveys show. Laura and I try to be mindful about our spending, but, you know, we're making money um, and we're making more money than we need. Uh, in retirement, you have no income. And so I think we're we're generally cautious. Do you become like 
like automatically a miser who can't spend a dollar when you have no income coming in because it's it's literally drawing down the pile. Um, like how how do you even determine? It felt that way. It felt that way. Right. Well, so when I quit, yeah, I like I didn't want it. That's why I was <laughs> selling stuff on eBay because because I mean I had money and I saw it there, and Laprell would get after me because I said, well, we don't. You know, we don't have any, we don't have any money or income. And she's like, yeah, we do, right? Because you got this money coming from your firm paying you every year, like your buyout. But it, it is. So it takes some adjustment, which is why having some form of income in retirement, I think, is pretty critical because you do get miserly, and and you don't want to live that way. I feel like you so, run the numbers to see if you can retire. And maybe you do it like once a month if you're like crazy or however often. But if you were just drawing down, you'd be like weekly almost. Am I on the right? I, I would be crazy. Well, that's why I look at it. That's why I look at it on an annual basis. Mm. I say, all right, well, how much did I return? How much did I earn this year? I'm mm-hmm. just from investing and what did yeah. I spend? And that's why it's that gap. You want to look at what that rate was every year so that you can adjust. And then you, you finally get used to it. Like I don't spend that much time worrying about it now because one, I've been able to generate income to live on and, but it, you sort of get used to being like, you get used to being retired, but you, the, the initial thing when you retire is, yeah, you become quite miserly and worried because you don't have income. Would you say, which that, is why it, would you say like the, the notion of like what people perceive retirement as is wrong or, or misleading? Oh, I think so. Yeah, because they don't. <laughs> they what they want? They don't even want retirement. What they want? They want freedom, mm. right? They either hate their job, or they just want more control over what they do. It's not like people dream to not have anything to do. Mm. They just yeah. want more control, and so I think it's better in your thirties, forties to figure out structure a life where you have control and freedom. And you can sustain that for decades, and mm-hmm. you know, that's what you're doing now. I'm both of you. So you're not, you're not retired. You're, but you live like you're retired because you have complete freedom. So you're you're one person, I and mean, you're the only one that works on your business, David. Yeah, my son does some help sometimes. Okay, tired cool. So hours a week, but fine. Um, I I think the the median average income in the U.S. is like fifty five thousand or so, some something right. in that range. Right. How long did it take you to hit that threshold where it was just you and with the help of your son, you know, in his spare time? As a retiree, like just through business? I mean, yeah, even uh, even if you're putting your full time into money for the rest of us, how long did it take you to grow a nothing into that? Um, well, I launched the show in 2014. You know, the next year I made that much. Wow. So it didn't, I mean, it didn't take that long. And, you know, my goal this year was to make enough to be able to live on and not have to touch investing. Mm. And and I've, I've been able to do that. If you if you were still doing uh, your full-time job um, as ferociously as you were when you were, like, right in the heat of it, uh, how long do you think it would have taken you, like, in your spare time? You know, like the... To... To essentially, like, grow it to the 55000 a year oh. or whatever. <clears throat> One, I wasn't allowed to... <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so, barring that, so I couldn't have. I couldn't. Have. I wasn't allowed to have another Let, business. Let's pretend that was that my business. A, yeah. Let's pretend so, there wasn't a restriction on that, and you could use weekends. Well, I mean, I, I think it. I. 
I think the key is, you know, Peter Drucker, the, the management guru, used to say, figure on three to five years. Right? Mm-hmm. If you quit your job, plan on three to five years to replicate your, your existing income that you had at your prior job. Mm-hmm. Now, and I think that's true. I think it takes, you know, so I quit. Quit 2012. And it took me to 2015 to actually start making money and, and you know, 2016 to make enough to live on. Cause, so. Because, like, nobody searches for decumulation. I think we, like, settled <laughs> that. <laughs> like, this this is, like, a not a thing. And I want to maybe take this as, like, a, a point of, like, um, how you handle your money in the future. But it's, like, it, everyone talks about, like, side hustles and stuff. It's It's not, it's, like, your life hustle. Right, because there's right, gonna be a right. point where you'll have to start taking Social Security. Your job is gonna kick you to the curb because I don't know. It we're it's ageism and whatever. You you could prepare then, or you could prepare now. Um, I th- I think I think that's true. You got to. Pr- I remember when I started my first corporate job. You know, I'm going up the elevator, and it happened to be that building with a lot with bankers. And I remember seeing, you know, I was 30 or late 20s. Seeing people in their 50s, you could tell they hated the job and they were going to their whatever job it was. And I thought, I'm not going to be that person. Mm. I'm going to find a way to get out so that I have freedom because I don't want to be stuck in this job that I have to work at. And, you know, even, you know, once I started in the investment business and traveling, you know, I'd be in the crown room at Delta the airport and see all these these salespeople in the back you know, on their phones. And I thought, God, I don't want to be that person either. Mm. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want, you want that freedom. And now's the time to figure out how to do that in a sustainable way, not by putting away a bunch of money. I mean, that's helpful, but figuring out a life that you can create an income in, in a way that you have the freedom you want. So it's almost like the money you save is, is the insurance policy against your failure or like dips in whatever you're working on. Right. Right. And having that nest egg is key when you like, let's say somebody's 40 decides to quit, knowing it's going to take three to five years to figure out how they're going to make an income in a way mm-hmm. that they like you having that that nest egg is psychologically very, very helpful to know that, OK, I do have I have a runway to figure this out. And that's yeah. really, I think, really, really important. I think it's a good way to view it. Is as a runway. Right. Because I don't know about you, but we always come up with this example of like, oh, you can retire and then you can go work at Walmart or something like that. I don't want to do that. Mm. Like maybe it seems it seems a little less um I don't know, awful to me to like put that on my sixty five year old self. Oh, he can go work at Walmart because I don't want to do that now. But when I'm sixty five, I don't think I want to do that. Like I think well, no, I, you, uh, I right. want to do something intellectually challenging and you know maybe it's a little less stressful than what my career was but it's still something where i'm building and creating and i don't know maybe this is just my personal view because i really don't think i will want to ever truly retire i think i'm going to be like you constantly building things until i'm dead because that's just what i like to do and i know andrew's the exact same way but you know i I never want to build a retirement that requires me to just go take a a part-time job that isn't challenging and is literally only just to supplement my income. No, and that's why now, I mean, you, you won't be in that situation because you're preparing for it, mm-hmm. right? The people that were in that situation, well, one, they didn't think they were going to live that long, 
Or maybe we will, because maybe we'll all live to 120 and we're going to be 100 and having to work at Walmart because our <laughs> retirement ran out to make what, it the next what day. What like 18 Walmart greeters? It's like a line of greeters. You <laughs> just walk down a red carpet with like 180-year-old people just being, welcome to Walmart. <laughs> Probably with a basket asking for donations, too, because Walmart couldn't afford it. <laughs> Shit, what a horrible problem to have living too long. But yeah, that's the thing that I, I guess I just want to like put out there for people who are thinking about how they're going to prepare for retirement. Like prepare in a way, I don't know, just like expect that you're going to need to work. So prepare for it in such a way where you you guide yourself towards work that you're going to like doing. You know, mm-hmm. don't put yourself in a situation where you think I can live entirely off of the investments and then end up having to work somewhere you don't want to work. <laughs> if you like being a Walmart grader and you like people that much, sure. But I don't. <laughs> You know, and like I kind of wanted to to pull out that like you should be doing something, but I, I also don't want to downplay the importance of saving and like asset allocation to a degree of, you know, you have like these life cycle funds and over time they like phase you into bonds. Yeah. Um, I think stuff like that is important because I don't know. I mean, what do you think, David? Well, of course. Yeah. People should be saving at least 20% of their income mm. with, you know, maybe including the company match if they have that, because th- that's just a, a really good discipline for whatever. And so, yeah, save for retirement. Lifestyle funds are a great vehicle. If you don't really care about investing, you don't just put it in that. I mean, it's diversified. They tend to be inexpensive and then you don't have to worry about that. Now, have if you, you want to learn about investing, then, you know, then you can start doing other stuff. Have you done an episode on your podcast about what you said about the whole start with a more conservative allocation and then actually move towards stocks as you get into retirement? Because that's actually the opposite of what those lifestyle funds do. So if if you haven't done something on that, it might be good to dig into the math behind it in a future episode or something. Yeah, no, I, I did actually do an episode. It's uh, like in the in the like episode 80 around episode 80, I okay. think. And, and it's about that. How, how much do you spend in retirement? And then, so I yeah. talked about that. I talked about the research of that. And yeah, it's an important concept. And I talked about, you know, one of the things, you know, about, you know, you invest, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about, you know, when you're 85 and you're running out of money or, or, you, or you, maybe you're, you're down to your last hundred thousand, you know, there are, there are long, there's longevity insurance. There are, there are immediate annuities where you just give an insurance company money and they promise a certain payment the rest of your life. Well, the way these annuities work is the older you are, the more they pay. And so if you get into a situation where you're 75 or whatever, you can buy one of these annuities. And the reason why they can pay more is because people die. It's just like fire insurance, right? If you, your, your homeowner's insurance, if your house burns down, that money comes from other people's premiums. Mm. And yeah. that's why this, this, this immediate annuities, which are very simple, and, I, and I've talked about them on the episodes, are the same way. It's like longevity insurance. Okay, I'm going to take my money and put it in. They'll promise to pay me the rest of my life. If I die in three years, then then that's going to help somebody that lives to be 105. So that bought I, yeah. annuity. I buy. I, right. I get like the the concept, but how much annuities do you own, David? Right now, I don't. No, I don't own any because I'm. Because right. I'm, well, okay, but so why? You got to wait because here's because the way oh, annuities oh. work, it's driven by interest rates and how old you are. So mm-hmm. the higher the interest rates, 
and the older you are, the more they're going to pay. Because what's the insurance companies got to invest the money themselves. It's not like insurance companies are genius investors. Mm. And so, but this is another tool that's out there for people that don't have a pension, which most people don't anymore. Yeah. So you, and it, it makes that transition easier. It's like, all right, I'm going to retire now, but I, when I'm 75, I'm going to plan on buying one of these annuities knowing that they'll, they'll help me. So and it'll be less stressful. I've, I've looked at annuities and I guess from my, I'm like 34, 33 or something now. And I feel like I'd be fleeced if I bought an annuity. You would. Yeah, absolutely. And there are people, they want to come on the show and they talk, they want to talk about it. I just felt like it was inappropriate to talk about because I thought it was like just a terrible idea. But you're, you're essentially saying that there is a line at blah age where after that, it is in your favor to buy it. Like you will be net positive as opposed to just investing on your well, own. Well, this is a, there's all kinds of annuities. This is what's called, it's a single premium immediate annuity, right? Which means you give a premium and they promise to pay so much the rest of your life. The, the, the things are priced based on your actuarial, your, your life expectancy. So it's not, it's just that the reason why you feel like you're fleeced if you buy one in your thirties is because your life expectancy is whatever, 80 years, right? <laughs> so you don't get oh, any yeah. money. But if if you're 75, your life expectancy is maybe another 10 years. And so it's priced based on that. And then if you live to be 95, then you come out ahead. And so they base it on that. So they're fairly priced, but it's better to wait till you have higher interest rates someday and you're older. So you sign up and you tell them that you're a smoker, but you're actually never a smoker. <laughs> and <laughs> you live longer than they thought. Ha ha. There you uh, go. You could do that. And hopefully the <laughs> insurance fraud agents won't come after you. Yeah, but yeah, you could. And then they catch you. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we could do more on that in a future episode if people really want to know about it. But I don't know. I think the bottom line is be looking for ways to make something in the retirement. You know, but also save, like you said, 20%. And I should probably save more because I don't think I'm saving a full 20% of my income at the moment. So yeah, maybe- I mean, that's about right. I mean, at 20, and when I've crunched the numbers, 20, you know, most people aren't, but if they, they have a job, they're getting a match. So that 20% includes their company match. That's true. So, yeah. But, and that's a function of low expected returns for investments, right? If we were, mm. and if this was the 80s, early 80s, you wouldn't have to save that much because- you would have a bunch of tailwinds from the investment markets. We don't have those tailwinds anymore. We have headwinds now. And so you have to save more to compensate for lower lower returns. Oh, my God. David. By tailwinds and headwinds, aren't, aren't, isn't the market doing really well right now? Or are you, just, are you saying like over a longer period of time? Over, well, the market is, has done well, exactly. But as it's done well, it's gotten pricier. So you have U.S. stocks valued on a cyclically adjusted basis. They're... They're as expensive. There's only maybe three times have been this pricey. Okay. And, gotcha. and that doesn't mean the market's going to crash. What that means is the more expensive something gets, the lower its future return. Right. Yeah. And so, so if you put in a dollar today, then it's going to return a lot less than if you put a dollar in in the 80s. Yeah. You're not going to, in the 80s, you could get 10% to 12% investing in stocks. Okay. A reasonable expectation today over the next decade or two is 6%. Mm-hmm. And all things being equal, if you're going to get half the return, you're going to have to save twice as much money. Yeah. So, David, after we finish recording this episode, Thomas and I are doing an episode on bubbles. And I am just curious 
if you were J. David Stein, the current, the you know, the future Nostradamus, what do you think is going to happen in the next three to five years, and why? You know, G- give us your predictions. <laughs> My prediction: well, <laughs> three to five years is almost impossible to predict, right? But when I look at where we are now in terms of the economy, that you know, there's things are fine. Right. We've got a broad based economic recovery and the, the, the best prediction you can have right now is things are going to continue as they are. Mm. Interest rates will stay low. The stock market will continue to, to go up. And that's a reasonable prediction. It's been we've been in an eight year recovery, but economies don't go into a recession because they're minding some clock and says, well, it's time. Mm. It, it's a psychological phenomena and there's nothing to say that where we're at now can't continue for another three to five years. So that would be my base case. Things will continue as they are, getting more expensive, interest rates staying low. And so I think that's a reasonable expectation. But I'm always looking for changing investment conditions. So when I see risk get up higher, then I'll pull back risk. And mm-hmm. and hopefully there'll be an opportunity to find some things that, that are cheap. Because you know, one of the things about bubbles, you people talk about well, Bitcoin's a bubble. Mm. Or bonds are a bubble or something to bubble. Something can only be in a bubble if there's some way to measure that it's overvalued. There's a metric. There's earnings or there's an income stream. Now, Bitcoin's not a bubble because nobody knows what the right price should be. Hmm. It's worth whatever people are willing to pay. Gold's never in a bubble. Hmm. Stocks can be in a bubble because you can say, all right, here's the multiple of earnings that you know we're paying 28 times the past 10 years earnings for stocks. Historically, we've paid 18 times, right? That's a bubble. But most assets, you know, a lot of these asset classes where people say is a bubble, that's just a term because it's, at least my definition of bubble, you have to be able to measure whether it's a bubble or not, which means you need mm. some absolute criteria to measure it against. So, so you would, Some standard. You would personally go hard into Bitcoin? No, I wouldn't say that. But I, you know, I'm, I have about 1% of my net worth in Bitcoin. Mm. Right, cryptocurrencies, because I—I I mean, my thesis is, Bitcoin will do well as long as people trust it. Mm. Just like with gold, if people don't trust it anymore, then it's going to do awful. Mm. But you have a limited supply that's going to be creative, and if people think this is digital gold and it'll be a store of value, then Bitcoin's going to do fine. If something comes along that destroys that belief, then it'll do awful. So you don't I guess I've been a little—I've been a little confused about how I feel about Bitcoin. I learned a ton about it over the last month got really excited about it andrew is like not he's a little more skeptical i'm thinks excited it basically about is it. a bubble well uh, basically thinks it's a bubble yeah and then yeah i guess the one thing i was wondering over the past few days is okay well bitcoin you know it has the characteristics of a currency but people aren't using it as a currency because um you know the value goes up so that that cup of coffee you bought is like a 400 cup of coffee next month and also the fact that the trend uh, the transaction fees are so high so I'm just like, maybe it isn't as useful. It's then not. I was talking to my brother, and he's like, well, they're going to use Bitcoin as a store of value, and they're going to use Litecoin or something else backed by Bitcoin as your daily transaction currency. So maybe that's something that's going to happen. I'm not sure. Yeah, but no, Bitcoin is not currency in that aspect. Yeah, people are not going to use it to spend money. They're going to yeah. use it because there's a limited supply coming online, and people can transact if they need to but you're right with the transaction fees it no it's 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 only worth something because it's going to be a limited supply whereas traditional money dollars 
will have an unlimited supply. Mm. Yeah. And so that's how it contrasts. And gold sort of in the middle where you have to mine it. But there, I mean, there's things about Bitcoin that concern me. The energy used to verify transactions, you know, from an environmental standpoint is a concern. The fact that, you know, I'm going into it. But, you know, I think yeah. it, that's another example of having multiple diversifiers and rates of return. And Bitcoin is, is very unique. And having, you know, a percent or two of one's net worth in that, just to see, you know, probably makes sense. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I've been like hemming and hawing about what to do with the amount that I have in it over the past few days. So that's something to think about. And yeah, well, I, guess I mean, every I time I've sold mine, I've regretted day. it. I mean, and I'm yeah. not a Bitcoin <laughs> fanatic, but right. But you know, yeah. I thought, you know, you leave all the like I bought some in, I guess, 2015 after doing an episode on my show on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kept it for a year or so. And then there was all this stuff about Bitcoin is dead and, and the developers arguing. And it, so I sold it. It's like, well, that was dumb. And I sold it at 400. <laughs> right. No, no, it was eight. I sold it at 800. So I bought it at 400. I bought it at 800. And now it's 7,500. How many did yep. you have at 400? At 20. 20. Oh, 20 wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I had so what? That would be pretty good. Yeah. Four, I bought, you know, 20. Yeah. So I had. I had about five thousand dollars worth, yeah. So it'd be worth, you know, close to a hundred thousand now. But I sold it. But got to keep the hands strong. Which is why there's a lot of naysayers. <laughs> got, a lot of traditional finance, they don't like Bitcoin because they feel bad because they missed out. Mm. But I mean, there's some <laughs> there's some things to it that, you know, it's up fifty percent in the last month, right? So that's a little scary. Right. Yeah. But, and in the last day, it's down a thousand dollars. Is it really? It's right. 6,500 right now. Nice. All right. It was at 7,500 yesterday, I think, at one point. So <laughs> yeah, everyone woke up and was like, oh, what's going on? And I don't know. There's all the people who are just like, you got to hodl it. Just keep hodling it. So we'll but see. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll keep going down. I yeah. Mean, and I guess like, like this, the smart thing is what you said. Have a percent of your net worth in it. Mm-hmm. That oh, way, yeah. whatever happens, it's not going to be the biggest deal in the world. Oh, no. It's way too risky to put much more than that. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think we've we've uh, covered retirement at least semi substantially in this episode. If people have questions, they can always email us, and we can clarify things later on. But David, always great having you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Yeah, and uh, everyone who liked this episode wants to listen to more of David. You've got 180 episodes now, probably. Yes. At this point, something like that. Yeah. So, money for the rest of us. We'll have a link in the show notes. And uh, go listen to David's podcast. It's really informative. You know, less fart jokes, but maybe some people <laughs> learned that. <laughs> Not even one. <laughs> Not even one. That's for episode 200, right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Building up to the very first ever fart joke. We'll have a link to that show in our show notes. You can find the show notes for this episode over at listenmoneymatters.com slash show. And then just find our episode on uh, decumulation, or maybe Andrew will title it as a little, something a little bit more <laughs> sensible. Uh, or you could just Google decumulation, and we'll be the only result there. So That's true. We'll be there somehow. I'm sure Andrew will put that keyword in the article at some point. Uh, so yeah, Google decumulation, just find us. And if you have questions about this episode or about personal finance in general, why Andrew thinks personal finance is a crock of shit, you know, anything <laughs> of that nature... Listen, money matters at gmail.com is our email address. Send us your questions, send us your feedback, send us your catchphrases. And uh, if you want to support our show, you can also give us a review on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. I'm not sure what to call it these days. 
the guys at Apple said, we're calling it Apple Podcasts now, but I don't know if people actually call it that yet. <laughs> so I'm going to use it interchangeably. On the bleeding <laughs> edge of... Uh... <laughs> The bleeding edge on following brand guidelines. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're nothing if anyway, not responsible, Thomas. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you in next week's episode. Later, guys. Later, man. Goodbye. Please tell your friends about this show. <laughs>